Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hello, my dark darlings. I'm Markia, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. To our veteran listeners and those sheltering in the dark with us for the first time, welcome. It's been Halloween for us for a bit now, but welcome to official October. So this is when everything would ramp up just a bit more. So as Halloween grows closer, so do all the scary creatures that come along with it. Scarier than any ghost or mythological monster, however, are the evils that people are capable of doing to each other. The inner demons that can drive humankind to do the unthinkable, like kill another person in cold blood. And how that taste has led to notorious murders throughout history, from Jack the Ripper to the Zodiac Killer. These homicidal tendencies have inspired the most chilling of tales, enough to give you serial shivers. First, by popular demand, the horrific return of the grim gouger. And then, we're lured astray by a familiar whistle, followed by a tragic update on the Radonica murder case. And finally, a young girl's investigation uncovers deadly secrets. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week. As always, the first story you hear is one that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com snarled. Then I read a few more stories for the podcast. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. And if you'd like to support Something Scary, consider joining our Patreon. As a patron, you can help the show and also be a part of it. Hear your name featured in a story on the podcast's weekly video and see ad-free episodes. And if you love what we're doing here, then support our Patreon for more scary content. Use patreon.com snarled. So, want to hear something scary? The Return of the Grim Gouger One year ago, we told you of a serial killer a serial killer who had rampaged through the city. He liked to kill whole families all at once. The bigger the family, the better. His victims were found with their throats slit and their eyes mutilated. He'd smear their blood on the walls with the phrase, if you can't see it, it's not happening. The news called him the Grim Gouger. And last Halloween, he was finally caught, but it's difficult to beat horrific icons like that. Alwyn was eager for his date tonight, even though he now hated this time of year, Halloween. The Grim Gouger had been sent to jail thanks to his dad and the rest of the FBI. 
Alwyn reminded himself he no longer had to stay up all night with his mom, worried if the gouger would get his father before he was caught. Alwyn's family thought they could put this all behind them, but now it was Halloween, and the mask of the grim gouger was suddenly everywhere. From t-shirts to stickers, it seemed the infamous killer had become a horror icon. His new girlfriend, Sierra, agreed to have a Halloween date at her house, watching scary movies. And he was thankful to be pulled out of his dreadful reverie when she opened the door with a candy bowl in hand. Sierra smiled at him, costumed in a jumpsuit one might wear to hunt ghosts in. Hey you, you found the new apartment okay. Suddenly, she frowned. Oh, did you bring a friend? Alwyn turned to look behind him, and his heart skipped a beat. Behind him stood the grim gouger. Alwyn's breath whistled through his suddenly tight throat. His body was shaking. But wait, something was off. Trick or treat, the grim gouger said in a high and enthusiastic voice. It was a kid wearing a store-bought grim gouger mask. Sierra quickly ushered Alwyn inside and down the hall away from them. Turning back to her door with her candy bowl, Sierra gave the kid candy and said goodbye. Embarrassed and apologetic, Alwyn turned back to her when she came back inside and offered a blood red rose. Sierra took it as she led him toward the living room. The grim gouger is a sore subject, he explained, telling her the full story about his father. Sierra touched his shoulder as they sat on the couch. I understand. I lost someone last year during the whole grim gouger thing. They were my whole world. Putting his arm around Sierra, Alwyn expressed his condolences while also assuring her of their safety. Hers, his, and his mother since the grim gouger had been captured by his dad and was now definitely locked securely behind bars. Sierra looked distant. I'm so glad you offered to come over tonight for Halloween. It would have been really tough for me if you hadn't. And thank you for keeping our relationship on the DL. I just needed time, but I can trust you since we feel the same way about family. She smiled and Alwyn melted as she leaned in close. Then the microwave went off and Sierra jumped off the couch. Popcorn's ready. Let's start with your favorite scary movie. I'll be right back. She disappeared, laughing into the kitchen. Nodding, he began to scroll down some selections on the TV when the doorbell rang. Can you get the door? Sierra yelled from the other room. The doorbell rang again and again. Whoever they were, they were insistent. As he turned the front doorknob, candy bowl at the ready, Alwyn waited to hear the familiar trick or treat, but there was nothing. When he opened the door, nobody was there. However, looking down, he found a grim gouger mask placed on the doormat. No one else was in the hallway. He felt the hairs on the back of his neck stand up. That last kid just dropped their mask, he thought to himself. The gouger is in prison. Everything is fine. Everything okay? Sierra asked as she headed toward him, popcorn in hand. As he looked back at her, his blood went cold. Behind her, in the darkened part of her hallway, stood the grim gouger. Alwyn shouted, running towards her, but before he could get to Sierra, the gouger shoved her out of the way and smashed Alwyn in the face, knocking him out cold. 
When Alwyn came to, he was tied up, struggling against the restraints. His vision landed on Sierra, who lay next to him with her eyes closed. No, Sierra, he screamed. She suddenly opened her eyes. Looking into his, Alwyn heard the doorbell ring again. Sierra then held her phone up, pushed an app on her phone, and the doorbell rang in response to the app again. She sat up next to him, raising her other hand from behind her back. She brought her own gouger mask to her face with a smile. Family means everything, Alwyn. You must understand why we are doing this. Your father took our father from us last year. The man from earlier wearing the grim gouger mask entered the room. He was wearing a jumpsuit, similar to Sierra's. My sister is right, he said as he held a knife over Alwyn. Blood is most important, eye for an eye. Sierra scooted in close and revealed a knife that matched her brother's. Now, we're going to take you from your father she said as the new two grim gougers overtook Alwyn and stabbed out his eyes. Later, when Alwyn's body was found by his father, the walls of the HomeAway B&B rental apartment were covered in bloody words that spelled out, if you don't see it, then it isn't happening. The grim gouger had returned. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. It's said small towns often keep their secrets buried, and yet the young can still hear their call and dig up things that should stay long forgotten. Like in this story inspired by Anna. Near the woods, in the mountains of New England, rests a small town. And like most small towns, it has a haunted history. For this little town, however, they knew to keep it locked away. Somewhere, deep in the wilderness, just beyond the only school in town, sat the Whistling Shack. Named so for the sound that drifted out of the woods on any given day. The children always wondered about the Whistling Shack as they played on the playground. Some said it was the original location of the school, but it burnt down after a tea kettle was left on too long by a negligent teacher. But others whispered that the teacher intentionally left the tea kettle unchecked so its whistle would muffle the screams of the students as he disciplined them. And in his masochism failed to notice the raging fire that erupted, engulfing both him and the children. 
They said that the teacher died on the fifth day of the fifth month at sunset. And if you stood inside the cabin during that specific day, you could see the ghost sipping his tea. Melody was always so curious to see it, and today was that day. Her friend Jude decidedly was not so keen on the idea and reminded her it wasn't safe to go exploring in the woods. Also, the teachers had told them all many times that the shack was just old and quickly warped by the weather in the woods. They'd stand by the fact that that was the real reason they had to move the school to where it stood now. The old locale would be structurally unsafe even if they could find it. But the whistle on the wind called to Melody. Melody was determined, and she dragged Jude out into the woods to find the shack anyway. They snuck off into the thicket of trees and walked further and further into the woods than they had ever gone before. For a while, they saw nothing, just the sunlight coming in through the trees. Jude wondered if they were lost and if they should turn back, but... Melody convinced him to keep going. The whistle grew louder and closer. Through the muddy forest floor, Melody stomped past Jude and suddenly stumbled out of sight. Her scream filled Jude with adrenaline and he sprinted after her. Not noticing the hill below the green bushes, he tumbled down it as well and had the breath knocked out of him. Gasping and hurt while he tried to catch his breath, Jude was startled as Melody popped up over him. We made it, she smiled. In the distance lay the decaying wood shack. The cabin was completely overgrown, the wood rotten and the roof half gone. It had no windows and one door with a giant rusty deadbolt lock on it. Melody was disappointed that the door was locked. They tried to open, but it wouldn't budge. Jude told Melody they should go back before their parents noticed they were gone, Reluctantly, she agreed, and they headed back the way they came, up the hill they had fallen down. Jude started to climb up the hill just as the wind blew, and the whistling began again. He turned back to help Melody up, just as a loud, creaking sound of ancient, rusty hinges creaked. They both looked to the shack as the door slowly opened. The whistling grew louder and more high-pitched. And suddenly, Melody gasped as she was being pulled from Jude's hand. She screamed as an unseen force dragged her towards the shack. Jude held on to her, but then he was pulled too. He grasped at the roots and mud surrounding them, but nothing could stop the invisible force that ripped them to the now wide-open door of the whistling shack. They both screamed as they were dragged inside, and the door closed tight after them. Days later, search and rescue parties couldn't find a trace of the missing children, just the locked, decrepit building sitting alone in the woods. After Jude and Melody's parents begged, the shack's door was broken open, but the local sheriffs, townspeople, and students found reminded them all of why they had to stay out of the woods. Inside the whistling shack, the walls were covered with fresh blood, and two bodies lay close together in a heap, on top of piles of older decaying bones. An impossibly loud teapot whistle shook the old shack, making everybody scatter in pain from the sound. Jude and Melody's fellow students swore 
They saw the spirit of the teacher who burnt down his schoolhouse and murdered all those children long ago. While everyone scattered, he was sitting there, sipping his tea with an evil smile. Thank you so much, Anna, for sharing this story, this local legend with us. Anyone out there, are there any serial killer legends in your town? Maybe a tale of people that everyone knows what they've done, but nobody can prove it. If you do, we'd like to hear them. Send them to us. And if you're worried about your own personal safety, we will keep you anonymous. If you're fascinated by the darker sides of humanity, join us every week on our podcast, Serial Killers, where we go deep into notorious true crime cases. With significant research and careful analysis, we examine the psyche of a killer, their motives and targets, and law enforcement's pursuit to stop their spree. Follow Serial Killers wherever you get your podcasts and get new episodes every Monday. This week, we've got an update on the strange case of the Randonautica app that led kids on TikTok to discover body parts and suitcases in Seattle, previously reported by 2fab.com. Recently on the podcast, we talked about the mysterious case of the body parts found in suitcases because of the TikTok trend of using the Randonautica app. Based on an adventure prompt from the app, a group of Seattle teens followed directions to coordinates that promised to be a mysterious location that they documented on their TikTok. What they found in broad daylight was a suitcase that washed ashore. Hoping it was treasure, the kids opened the suitcase to find plastic-wrapped contents inside. These contents turned out to be body parts, and later authorities found an additional suitcase and confirmed the worst. Both suitcases contained the parts of two bodies. As a disclaimer, we at Something Scary do not endorse the usage of the Randonautica app, but will ask that if you use it to always use utmost caution and never go alone. As of the release of that episode, there have been updates on the case. The bodies were identified belonging to a Seattle couple that had just moved in together. For the privacy of the families of those involved, we have changed the names of the victims. When the body parts in the suitcase were confirmed as belonging to Darren and Olivia, their families were notified, and they identified a potential suspect to investigators. They were aware of disputes the couple had right before their disappearance with their landlord. The victims had expressed to them that they were met with hostility over late rent, and that Michael had accused them of bringing in criminal activity to his property. The case built as a key witness came forward and the story took a harrowing turn. Andrea, a new tenant, revealed she moved into the landlord's property on June 9th, specifically into a recently vacated room that was still a mess. When she met Michael, the landlord, she described his face as covered with scratches. On the floor, she noted, was a pile of clothes with a hand sticking out. She was told that the room still needed to be cleaned up and left as she saw the landlord take out rolls of plastic, the same plastic the body parts were found wrapped in. 
When detectives searched the premises, they found traces of blood, spent casings, and bullet holes on the walls. Neighbors corroborated with the investigation, revealing that they had called 911 after hearing gunfire and yelling. Authorities had arrived to investigate that night, but left when nobody answered the door. Later, when taken into custody, the landlord denied any involvement and didn't give an explanation for what transpired in his home. He might have gotten away with his crimes if not for some mindful TikTok teens and the possible supernatural inclinations of the Randonautica app. The landlord was arrested and charged with two counts of second-degree murder. He is currently awaiting trial. When we learned about the update of this case, one of the things that I started to consider is that what led them there? Because yes, that app was a possible gateway, but there are many gateways to discover. If they hadn't used that app, it might have been something else. Maybe deciding to take a picnic you know, next to the sea and then that is how they would have found the body. Technology is very prevalent in our society and it feels like naturally our spiritual side has converged with our technology. What would you do if you and your friends were led to something horrific by your phone? Let us know your story at something scary at snarl.com. Unsolved mysteries fascinate us all. Perhaps we hope that by finding the answers to the unexplained, it will erase our fears about this dark and uncertain world. But beware. If you go too deep, Searching for answers, you could get lost in that darkness and never find your way out. Like in this story, inspired by a letter from Leanna. Dear Marquia, my name is Leanna and I'd like to submit my story. As an aspiring writer who enjoys writing horror, adventure, and anti-heroes, I love listening to true crime podcasts. Digging through the back of the local library for old newspapers and looking up published case studies. I wanted to analyze the reason people committed crimes and their thoughts. I wanted to know what drives them. And I want to be able to understand even the darkest sides of humanity. I wanted to visualize their thought process and discover what caused them to do something so extreme and irreversible. A few months ago, my life changed when I came across the case of Isla, the serial killer. Years ago, in the Midwest, the local police received a call. A woman, Nancy White, reported that this morning she'd woken up and found her husband dead in the guest room. Daniel White was decapitated, and his head was placed neatly, parallel to his body. There was no blood, suggesting the crime was committed elsewhere, and his expression was serene and calm. There were no signs of a struggle, no hairs, no fingerprints or footprints, and the security footage caught no one. The only clue at the crime scene was a small note left crumpled in Daniel's hand on which, written in a childish scrawl, were the words, I'm sorry. The following week, in a different part of the city, Arnold Hunter was found dead in the exact same position, with an identical note with the same message in the same handwriting crumpled in his hand. Again, there were no signs of a struggle, 
No fingerprints, no DNA, and no one caught on the security camera. The killings continued over the year. People would disappear, and their bodies turned up decapitated and the apology note crumpled in hand. There was no pattern and no connection between the killings. Nothing. The police never found the killer, and the killer kept on murdering indiscriminately. Kids, pregnant women, the elderly, working fathers, no one was spared. Sometimes, a body would turn up one day and another the next. Sometimes, there would be no signs of any bodies for months, and this went on for many years. Over time, the handwriting of the killer seemed to mature and get neater. It was almost like the writer of their killer was originally a child and was slowly growing up. This went on for seven whole years, resulting in dozens of unsolved murders. More competent detectives and even the FBI were sent in to investigate the case. They tried their best in identifying the writer of the notes, but no culprit was found. Until one day, an anonymous tip was sent in for them to investigate a local 15-year-old high school girl named Isla. The police were skeptical, but they still interviewed Isla's family and friends. Her parents didn't understand. They were a normal family of four, and Isla was a wonderful young girl, although mature for her age, yet very kind. Her friends said that while sometimes Isla had her weird little quirks, she was a wonderful friend who was empathetic and understanding. The teachers replied that Isla was talented, intelligent young woman, a prodigy who aced all her classes and was eager to help her classmates. Investigators were uncertain about questioning young Isla, but pressed on regardless. They discovered that Isla's family was well off and owned a small patch of forest land in the mountains where Isla had her own little workshop for arts and crafts. When the detective came to interview her, they were directed to the small little workshop located down a path in the woods. When they approached it, there was no one around. The windows were clean, and it seemed like a normal, small little workshop where a girl interested in arts and crafts would make her own chair or something. The detective knocked on the door, but no one answered. They waited for a moment, and then suddenly, they caught the distinct smell of the dead. They broke down the door of the shop and were greeted by a horrific sight. A body was laid on the plastic table, decapitated, the head on a small trolley and a bloody rag on the floor, as if someone was cleaning the body but then ran in the middle of doing so. The bloodied hatchet responsible for the killings was also found in the hut. The back door of the hut was thrown wide open and a trail of bloody footprints led into the forest. Isla was nowhere to be found. Everyone was horrified. But all evidence from the workshop pointed to Isla being the killer that terrorized the town for so many years. Even her handwriting from when she was young to her handwriting now all matched the notes left with the victims. Her fingerprints were found on the hatchet and the DNA of numerous victims were found in the shack. And a few days after the police's discovery, Isla's parents turned up dead, but their bodies were not decapitated and their faces were not serene. Their chests were torn from the inside by an unknown force, and a tear-stained, crumpled note in their hands which in a shaky font read, I'm not sorry. And from under Isla's mother's nails, they found Isla's DNA. Isla was officially wanted as a serial killer. However, 
She was nowhere to be found. No one was killed. No bodies turned up. And Isla remained missing until three years later, on December 21st, she was spotted by her sister who was hunting in the forest. She'd wandered back to the workshop where Isla once killed so many victims and found her sister there, armed with a hatchet. In her panic and anger, her sister raised her gun and fired multiple times, which hit Isla in her face and chest, killing her on the spot. No one knew how Isla got in and out of those people's homes, nor did anyone know why she did any of it. Until 20 years later, Detective Dahlia Overfields, who had solved multiple cold cases, reopened Isla's case and began to investigate. They found evidence that Isla's victims had come with her willingly to the hut and that somehow she'd convinced them to let her kill them. The last piece of evidence emerged in the form of Isla's diary, which they found hidden under the floorboards of Isla's workshop, locked within a metal box. As lead investigator Detective Overfields was the only one who read the diary, I discovered that the detective resigned the very next day and stole the diary. She then went missing until the next week. They found her body hanging from Isla's workshop with a note which read, I'm sorry, Isla. The diary was never found. Isla's full name was never officially released. I tried to find it online, but nothing turned up. In fact, aside from the few newspapers that I found in the very back of my local library, I couldn't find anything else regarding the case. Some snippets here and there, mentions of losing people to the serial killer in the note, but little new information beyond that. I tried my best in finding more information, but was at a dead end. I was so curious, and I wanted to know more, and I finally got that chance. Our family went on a vacation near the town where Isla once lived, and I was ecstatic. While my parents were visiting a local museum, I went off on my own and visited the local library for old newspaper records. I read through everything I could find and found nothing. I was about to give up when I spotted a small ripped piece of a newspaper article about a local girl winning an academic prize. The girl was Isla Overfields. She had the same last name as the detective that had reopened the case. I suspected it was one of Isla's sisters, but I had no way to find out. I had found her after all this time. When I got back to my room at the hotel, I found something else. I found an unexpected package covered in dirt. When I opened it, I found someone had sent me Isla's diary and her axe. The only other thing inside the box was a note written in a child's handwriting that said, you found me. Now it's your turn. This week's podcast stories were edited by Marquia McCarty, Sabina Graves, and Dennis Culver. Narration by Marquia McCarty. Audio edited by Fitz Harris and Calvin Linderman. Graphics by Johnny Ashley and Mari Carlson. Produced by Annalise Nelson. Music by Sapphire Sandalo and Calvin Linderman. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and everything we do at Snarled, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. Until next time, my dark darlings, sweet dreams.
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.